0: Hey
1: everybody, this is Bob Goodwin and welcome to another episode of Career Club Live. Uh, If you are watching us on YouTube, please feel free to subscribe, comment, and like. Same with uh, the podcast. We know a lot of you guys uh, like to listen to these as podcasts, and on whatever service you're on, the ratings and reviews really do help, so we would appreciate you doing that as well. Today's episode is brought to you by our newest service called Next Placement, which is uh, Career Club's people-centric, empathetic approach to helping companies transition employees. So if you haven't uh, looked into Next Placement, please do at career.club. So with that, um, I'm very uh, pleased to have our guest on today. He's a relatively new friend, but we spent a couple of hours on the phone. And uh, between his podcast and just his subject matter expertise, I know you're going to love him. So uh, our guest today is Christopher Lind. And this is a pretty impressive background, so I'm just going to read a lot of this. Christopher is the VP and Chief Learning Officer at ChenMed. Christopher is a bold digital-first learning and talent development leader who spent the majority of his career, I think this is cool, at the intersection of business technology, and the human experience. Christopher is also a podcast host. Uh, He's got a show called uh, Learning Tech Talks, where he critically evaluates the latest in learning and workplace technology to close the gap between the companies that build the tech and the leaders and companies responsible for selecting, implementing, and managing it. So with that, Christopher, welcome. Welcome.
0: Hey, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure getting to know you more recently. And I'm looking forward to us actually capturing our conversation and recording it for the benefit of others. I I can't complain about that.
1: No, we were teasing just a minute ago. I wish we had been pressing record Uh, the great (laughs) conversations that we have. And you've got a ton of expertise and point of view to share with folks who are sort of grappling with uh, everything. But before we launch into all that, as is our want, we've got just a handful of little icebreaker questions to uh, help people get to know you a little bit better. So first question, where were you
0: born and raised? Ooh, all right. So there's two different answers. So the questions are going to, to get farther. just saying. I, well, all right. Say, I like this kind of stuff. So <laughs> I was born in Loveland, Colorado. And so that's where I originated from, have the 522 social security number thing going on um, and was there for a few years. But then my family moved to Minnesota. And so Minnesota is actually where I spent most of my youth growing up in a very tiny town in the middle of Nowheresville. There's a lot of that
1: going on in Minnesota,
0: isn't there? You know what? There is. There's also a lot of lakes. So, yeah, those two things uh, Minnesota has plenty of.
1: And uh, where did you go? Where'd you go to school, college?
0: So I went to Northwestern College. Uh, It's now called the University of Northwestern in the Twin Cities area, small private college.
1: Cool. Awesome. And uh, a a little bit, this may be more than a little bit, but a little bit about your family.
0: Yeah. So interestingly, I didn't even plan it this way, but I wore my Latest oh, Father's Day shirt. That's ever. I on. have. Well, and, and all seven of my kids, It's I, my wife got me these two custom T-shirts that actually have that. So I'm married. My wife and I celebrate 15 years this year. And then to our surprise, we have seven children ages 12 and under. So now, don't ask do you me to. shirts to get all the names on them or what? <laughs> it's actually a real life job aid. That's really what it is, so that I can just look down and be like, "Wait, which one are you again?" Oh yeah, right. You're, oh, this you're is that. learning tech
1: already. This is wearable tech. <laughs>
0: that's exactly it. It's wearable tech. The only thing that's missing from it is their birthdays, which is really the, nice. the hang up for me.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, we only have four kids, so like I will seed uh, the race to you, and you win, and <laughs> congratulations. So that's awesome. Well, thank you. Now, um, I, I told folks at the beginning that you're the uh, VP and Chief Learning Officer at ChenMed. One, do you mind yeah. explain a little bit about what the company does, but more broadly, just a, kind of a quick picture of your career
0: arc? Sure. So I, I'll, I'll start with the career arc, and then we'll get to ChenMed. So I originally, back way back, if we go in the way back machine, was a total tech head. Everybody thought I was going to be some sort of software engineer or something like that. I had an uncle who was in tech. We were. Poor, but he would send me these computers all the time. And I was just fascinated with the hardware and programming and all this stuff. And so that's what everybody thought I was going to do. I went off to school and then realized I actually thought computers were really boring. They were Mm -hmm. very predictable, very kind of rudimentary. And I thought, eh, but I like tech, but I'm really more interested in the intersection of tech and people. And nobody knew what to do with that. So they were Mm -hmm. like, uh, I, I don't know, be a teacher then, I guess. And so I did teach in a traditional setting for a while, but quickly realized I'm really interested more in the business side of things. So that's where that whole business technology and the human experience comes in. Very early in my career, I realized I love helping organizations transform their business and people through tech. And so that was my whole career arc um, grew through a number of different organizations. Prior to where I am now, I led learning tech at GE Healthcare, Hmm. kind of one of those, like, got to that moment and went, you know, now what, like, what do I really going to do at this point? And then I got a call from ChenMed. And they said, you know, would you be interested in being our chief learning officer? And my actual original response was like, no, not really. I kind of am done with the whole corporate organization Mm -hmm. thing. But they were on a mission to change healthcare in the U.S. for underserved populations, mm. and I went. That is really cool. Sounds really neat, and they were positioned for what they were calling hypergrowth. Now, I did not expect when I started that we would go from twelve hundred to over six thousand in two and a half years. Holy moly! Just a wild ride leading the enterprise strategy for how we think about. The development and the growth of our employees at in 2023, you know, amidst a pandemic, amidst AI, amidst all Mm -hmm. these things, so it's been it's been a pretty fun ride.
1: That's crazy! Wow, twelve hundred to six thousand, and super quick. What does Chinmed do exactly?
0: So they are primary care. Uh, so it's primary care for really underserved Medicare Advantage patients in you know the inner city things like that and so it's really about offering VIP care which for many of the patients we have is foreign territory the thought of a company that would provide them high quality critical medical services is just kind of like what no nobody's nobody's really ever cared about our well-being and that is the sole mission of the company which is awesome
1: no and you know obviously that that sort of echoes or amplifies the point that people want to, you are not looking for another job. In fact, you like, I don't really want to go down the corporate route. Oh, you have a purpose. You have a mission that I can get behind. Oh yeah. So sorry. Anybody who's listening to this in talent acquisition and you're looking for rock stars, if you can articulate a purpose, a mission that the rock star can get behind, You can find them. They're out there.
0: Yeah. And they'll make moves that they are not planning on making. But I think the part I would emphasize, and this was one of the things that was interesting in the journey is they, (laughs) I pushed them outside of their comfort zone. Let's just say that in that, first of all, one, I know lots of companies that are like, we really want to rethink and reimagine learning. And then they're like, but can it look exactly like it always has in the past? You know, (laughs) And I've warned every company I've been at. I'm like, if you just want somebody to come set up a leadership academy or buy you you know, the latest enterprise oh. learning package, I'm not your guy. And just yeah. that's, let's get that clear. And so they really said, I warned them, you're going to be uncomfortable with the things I'm going to push. And that's, you got to be okay with that. I can't yeah. be in this bad. And not that it's been just you know, wild and crazy because I'm all about meeting people where they are, but I'm like, I'm going to push you beyond your comfort zone. And that happened even before I started because they said, you need to move to Miami, Florida. That just, we cannot have an executive not here. That's just our whole company. And I'm like, well, lesson one, (laughs) I will be in Wisconsin and you may never meet me ever. And so they said, all right, well then you know what, if this is exactly what you said you were going to do, so then let's do it. So, but I think that's something else companies have to take seriously is, you want to pull people in, you may have to get unorthodox in how you think about that.
1: I hope they get unorthodox. Um, given seven kids, I think I may know the answer to my next and last icebreaker question. What do you sure. do in your spare time when you're not a chin med? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I actually love when people ask me you know, what I do, I really say I'm a husband and a dad. And then I talk about my professional mm-hmm. life. I... Am really invested with my family, so I, you know, never imagined having a big family. wasn't even sure I was going to have kids, type of a thing. And so, to me, I'm all in on it. And so, as you can imagine, with seven kids, going to the grocery store is like planning a trip to Disney. So, <laughs> you know, when people are like, "Ah, do you go on vacation? Do you do all the?" I'm like, "No, I." installed the biggest playground that rainbow makes and we (laughs) hang out in the yard. And that's kind of what I do. I have a drone, you know, I fly around that that's, but, but I love it. I wouldn't change it for the world.
1: That's cool. And do you mind telling people real quick about your podcast?
0: Yeah. So I started the podcast almost four years ago this year, because I saw how there was, I compare the relationship between vendors and practitioners as a middle school dance you got the boys and the girls sitting on opposite sides of the gym. They both kind of really want to get out there, but they're awkward and uncomfortable and they don't really know what to do. And so I started that podcast as a way to say, I will be the first one to come out on the dance floor and pair people up and have those conversations. And given my background and experience, I really try to demystify this whole space and help build bridges across that so that we can actually just help each other drive, better things in our organizations. Well, so, thank yeah, you I can't believe that. it's been four years.
1: And, and we're going to talk more about it in a minute, but learning tech talks, highly recommend folks check that out. So on to kind of our topic since you know you live at the intersection of tech business and the human experience, which again, good on you for branding. We're always trying to teach our clients how to <laughs> brand themselves. So again A plus plus for that, because I can repeat it. Um you know, one of the things we talked about in one of our original conversations, we're going to get to AI, but before we get all the way into AI, it's just tech. And, in, you know, this, people are afraid of tech and tech companies, Very much so. you know, and they don't want to be hustled and sold something and buy something they don't understand and all that kind of, you know. Is this part of the the genesis of it? You just sort of set up it with the podcast, but just how would you begin to get people thinking about how to not be afraid of tech? Tech isn't here to hurt you.
0: So there's two things that come to mind on this. One has nothing to do with the tech. And one is what I've found with folks is often the fear that comes is typically rooted in an identity crisis in many ways. Uh, if you're uncertain in your identity or what your operation is, then the thought of tech coming and disrupting it is terrifying yes. because you don't really quite know what might happen. And you're very uncertain of how to think about it and where to apply it and what are the risks and all of this. And mm-hmm. so usually one of the first areas that I encourage people on is like, let's get really grounded in what it is you do so that you can have a confidence And this is what we bring to the table. This is how we think about things. These are our operations. And I think with the pace at which work happens, it's really easy for this to slip through people's fingers. And they don't necessarily have that intimate knowledge of, okay, I know things happen in my organization, but honestly, I don't really know how. And so suddenly you're presented with, well, you should really digitally transform that and that raises this whole uncertainty of, well, I don't, I don't really know what that is. And like, I don't really want to tell anybody I don't know what that is. And now I feel like I'm behind cause I'm supposed to transform and I don't even know what it is. And so I, that is usually where I have people start is get to know your operations, get to know the work that's happening, be able to articulate, what are those things that you're doing and, and how, and who's involved in that? Because once you have that clear, mm-hmm. Then the second half is you do need to be familiar to some degree with the technology. But if you're clear on what you're doing, you're already more well positioned to ask the right questions and say, well, but how would this happen? Or how would we go about doing this? Because you can think through the workflows or you can think through the value props and the different aspects of things. And while you may still not understand the language that comes back, well then that's the second half of the skill gap is saying, okay, you just said a whole bunch of you know, neural networks, artificial intelligence, natural language, pro- and you're like, uh, I don't know what that is. Yeah. But then you can start asking those questions. Of, well, But how would it do that? What would be the different ways? What would be the risks that we would need to evaluate? And I think that kind of two-stage approach, which is why I started the show, because I'm familiar with the operations of organizations. Yes. And I, so I can speak to, this is probably how things are working here's how this technology fits in the ecosystem. Here's how you may think about it and where you might be able to bolt things in and out and what risks you would need to consider as part of that.
1: Yeah, so it's interesting because I was at the Sherm conference recently in Las Vegas with 25,000 or whatever it was of my closest HR nerd friends. And yep. Johnny Taylor Jr., the CEO of SHRM, uh, gave a keynote and he was talking about technology. And you know he's, he's like, well, first of all, you can wish it to go away, it's not going away, and it's not the, pace going to. Of, the pace of change is never going to be slower than it is today, it's only getting faster. And so, what he was encouraging people in part was to understand you know, as an HR executive, you need to be a people expert. Your company's looking to you to be a people expert, a business expert, which I really feel sort of like the, the first piece that you said like, what's actually happening here? Do we know what's happening here? Do we speak the language of business in the same way that the CEO, the CFO speaks the language of the business? And then lastly, to be cultural experts. And again, you think about the human experience piece of what you said, but for people that are like looking at technology and thinking that technology with a big T is going to solve an undefined problem but, but but we bought this technology because it was AI it was something that that I felt like we needed to show we were making progress on but if you don't even know what the problem is or what the value proposition is that you're seeking yeah. to do you see that with with the people that you interact with that they get they become enamored with a shiny object versus um, solving for
0: you know Yes and no. And I say this, sometimes people get frustrated because I always answer with it depends. And it's because life is way more complex than that. Do people kind of go down that path? Yes, but it's usually with the best intentions of this is a problem in our organization. And I'm hearing that these are the promises that are being made by this technology. And so with the best intentions, my hope is that by doing this, I'm going to be able to solve the problem. But I think that's where the breakdown of when you don't understand the technology or the human experience within there, then the, and this is the really unfortunate part with technology is going back to what you said, nothing has ever moved faster than it has now. And it's only going to get faster. And so some of these gaps, these problems, these kinks in the armor, chinks in the armor, they just get exacerbated through this. And that's where you see a lot of people go down the path of digital transformation and they end up with a bigger mess than they started with. And that just leads to panic because it's like, wait a minute, I thought this was going to solve a problem. It didn't only not solve the problem, it made the problem worse. And now I don't know what to do about it.
1: So, so as you're talking, Christopher, it's making me think about, you know, do we know the problem that we're solving for? If we do, which would be a giant check mark, have we applied the right, right technological solution for that thing? But then, because we're dealing with people, and your your original point was, we're kind of risk averse. You know, that that's yes. a survival instinct is to be risk averse. Where does change management, and, and oh. like I, I, I'm solving the right problem with the right tech, but I've got a giant change management issue.
0: Well, and this goes back to something that we t- I, I mentioned earlier, which is when you're dealing with people, going back to why I was so fascinated with it, you look at people and you go, all right, one plus one equals two. And then you look at someone else and you go, one plus one equals seven. Like what just happened right now mm-hmm. type of thing. The math doesn't add up. And it goes back to this fact that there is no such thing as just a technology or a business change. Because at the end of the day, in every organization, those technology and business changes run on people. And so when you don't factor that X factor in, you're throwing an ingredient into your cake mix that it may make the cake rise. It may make it explode in the oven type of a thing. And that's where, you know, especially with technology, you're dealing with people's identity. And as much as people, I wrote a post about this last week, as much as people hate a lot of the activity they do at work, When you go to take that from them and say, hey, this is great. This is solving a problem. You're not going to have to do that anymore. That can inadvertently be messaged as what you do doesn't matter here anymore. And that's an identity crisis that can send people running for the hills. And that's where you see resistance and people holding on to things that you go, "But but you hate doing that. Why are you defending it with your life? Because if I don't have this, then I have nothing and the company sees me as in you know no longer value. And I think that's going back to like, why is the change management part so important? It's, it's that very thing that I'm talking about right now.
1: Okay. Now that, which totally makes sense. One of the things that relatedly then that we had talked about is that, that it may be okay sometimes for organizations to be smaller, that, yes. that it may create permanent change. Now, a lot of this, you know, we'll, we'll talk a lot about upskilling, cross-training, you know, things that, that hey, that boring thing or that thing that was driving you nuts, like, like here's a new thing that you can do that adds value that technology doesn't do yet or, you know, the marriage of AI plus human intelligence. So, like, you still need people to do what only people can do. Um, how do you how do you help that employee think about, hey, this isn't necessarily going to replace you. It might redefine what you're doing. Yeah. But h- how, how would you help somebody think about so, that?
0: So I think there's a couple angles that I uh, tend to approach it. So first of all, it's one working with the business leaders to recognize when it comes to business, you're not in a zero sum game. And I think that's one of the biggest things that you have to tackle because a lot of organizations are looking at it going, well, here's all we have. And if AI is taking some of that, then we obviously need less. And it's like, no, that's the mindset of a zero sum game that there's only so much that you can work with. And what's interesting about this is that's actually not the case. Like. You look at, I was watching a thing and looking at, into some research the other day that showed the GDP growth despite population growth and all this mm-hmm. stuff. And you look at it, it's like we make more <laughs> with less, which just defies the odds. And I think, first, as senior leaders looking at that, going, okay, hey, maybe we think about this and what other opportunities are we not exploring because of resource constraints, financial yes. constraints, things like this? How might we be able to do more? with what we have, that we historically have just not been able to do. Because I think that changes the conversation from, well, you know, we're going to be doing less. So how do we downsize the organization? And you might go, wow, what business opportunities may we be able to step into now that we couldn't before, where now these resources can be repurposed for that. And I saw that happen in COVID all over where businesses went, we got to totally rethink our model. And they ended up growing, which you go, well, that doesn't add up in math. It's like, And there goes the human experience piece. But I think then for the individual, what can be really helpful is actually getting down to the core of it, of what is it that really makes you tick and brings you to life in this kind of stuff. Because when you can start to get into that, and I do that with my own team all the time because people get into L and D and they go, I like learning. Like, what does that mean? Like, what do you actually like? Because learning is a business ecosystem in and of itself. So what are the things that you really enjoy, the types of problems you like to solve? What are the areas you like to lean in? Because when you can start getting into that, then when technology comes, you can quickly go, well, maybe I'm not doing this anymore, but now I'm doing this still ticking the same boxes, but in a wildly different way. And a good example of this in-learning is AI is coming for content creation like a wrecking ball. I mean, I was toying around with an app the other day that with a basic prompt, it'll write a full script, create a full audio animation and create the video that goes along with it in seconds. So if you're a designer and all you do is create video, you might look at this and go, like, what purpose do I add? But it's like, well, but is really the value you add coming up with the best scripts? I don't think so. And I think that's where you really start helping people understand what is it? that you actually do well, you can start to reimagine those possibilities really quickly, which then you realize my identity is not rooted in putting pivot tables in Excel that an AI algorithm can do 10 times better and faster than I can. You realize what really it is that you do.